I am the king of the ring. I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home. It's a good tuna, but I think I paid too much. Welcome to the Japan What Podcast, episode 119. It is I, your host, Matthew PM And the Japan What Podcast is, of course, the podcast that covers AI markets, society 5.0. What's that?、Hmm. Rising conflict in the Indo Pacific, odd items, and some news analysis.、Uh, coming at you from the Sam Moncho Studios in central Tokyo, Japan. The arm bit of Asia. And I am having what you are having. <clears throat> Busy day today. Busy day today. As you all know, oh, well know the,、uh, the times we're living in are pretty weird, but、uh, what else are you going to do? <laughs> It's not, not exactly weird when you just look out the window, although it is, right? Some person in a mask driving a car by themselves. You're like, damn it. I didn't know. I was hoping. I forgot that happened. And then it happens again. Like, that's weird. And you know they're not doing it because they have a cold. You know it's because of the after effects of stupid COVID.、Uh, and it, it never stops. It never stops. It's like, hey, this thing I went and bought cost twice as much and has half as less in it as before. Nah. Ah, the same packaging, but nah. Uh, but, anyways, we got a lot to do today. Thank you for joining the Japan What podcast.、Uh, what else can you do but laugh at it all? I'm not sure. The, we're going to begin today with、um, some high or not high before moving on to war. High or not high? More than 10. Who ate weed gummies hospitalized this year? Osaka police. Edibles aren't really a thing in Japan. Marijuana is barely a thing in Japan. I think there's some places you can go and get it. I've never really been around it. I'm from Vancouver Island, Canada, and boy was I around that growing up, especially in university and writing a degree in the arts, in the liberal arts section. Boy was I around it. But、uh, ever since coming to Japan, haven't been around it. Uh, but, anyways, it's, it's a new idea. I think that、uh, people, people used to make hashish, I believe,、um, but not, not so much in the edible department. But now the edible departments are here. Osaka from the Mainichi, Japan's national daily since 1922. Now, this is high or not high. So, this is obviously high. But the next story could be not high, but it sounds pretty high. Like this person may have gotten out of the hospital and then walked into the next news report. More than 10 people in this West Japan prefecture have been sickened by gummies, potentially containing cannabis derivatives so far this year, police told reporters on November 16th following such incidents in Tokyo. The Osaka Prefectural Police explained that more than 10 people, mostly in their 20s to 30s, have been taken to hospital with mild symptoms similar to those in the Tokyo incidents, such as vomiting and numbness. According to the Prefectural Police's Anti Narcotics Division, four men in their 20s complained of vomiting and other symptoms after eating gummies in the city of Osaka in September. One of the men reportedly told investigators a pack of 10 gummies was purchased through social media for 7,000 yen, or approximately $45. The exchange rate sucks so much. Ooh, cool.、Um, he- uh, hexahydrocannabidahexol. 
hexahydrocannabidahexol, or HHCH, a synthetic compound that mimics cannabis-derived ingredients, was indicated on the package. Citing the ongoing incidents, the same division is warning people to be cautious. The prefectural police believe some or all of the ingested gummies were manufactured within the city of Osaka and are looking into whether they contained illegal substances. So, so the weed gummies, but it seems like it's um, uh, a chemical derivative. Um, I'm not a big fan of chemicals, to be honest. Uh, I think... I've I've never really I actually I really don't like them. I may have taken them by accident once or twice. Um and it wasn't like a big thing. It wasn't like I smoked methamphetamine or something like that and was up for 3 days. I've never really been into that. That idea sounds just weird to me. I know there's a lot of meth heads out there in the world and they're like, "Yeah." <laughs> I'm like, "No." But uh, I like chill. I like chill. Uh, these days, I just like beer and whiskey, and that's it. <clears throat> and even then, it's less and less as you get older and have more kids. You can't just be wasted around your kids all the time. Although some people are. I don't know. Um, but this is the HHCH, the hexahydrocannabidahexol, a synthetic compound that mimics cannabis-derived ingredients. So I wonder what would be better. Because in Japan, cannabis is pretty restricted. I mean, there are ways to get it illegally. Um, and then there are ways to get it legally, apparently. I, I have no idea how, but I've heard people talk about it. And it's not like for recreational use or something like that. It has to be. There's some sort of weird reason why it could be legal. But I wonder if the idea of how far should drugs be legalized? Because looking at where I'm from in, North, uh, in, in Vancouver Island, once you allow people to smoke crack and and shoot heroin outside, but you still ban smoking cigarettes and drinking beer outside, it creates a weird dichotomy in your society. I mean, it's like you just get a lot of people shooting up outside and smoking crack outside. And it's like, well, maybe it's because of their family or maybe because of this. Nah, I think what it is is one place makes drugs illegal and every drug addict in the, uh, that knows about it heads that way to do drugs legally there. So you kind of create a magnet for, um, for drug use. And then you're like, well, I believe that people who do drugs should not be thrown in jail. I'm like, well, I agree with you. But that doesn't mean you advocate for open drug use. Uh, and then what happens is you have kids and then they meet those drug users and then the drug users get them hooked on kids. So this open idea of like, I don't want those people in jail. Well, maybe those people are going to ruin your kids' lives because of the policies that you ended up advocating for. So what's the line? I don't know. I think uh, loitering, loitering, as soon as he gets to the point of loitering or um, sleeping on the street, I think that would be a, a different thing. So it's just like we don't allow outdoor camping uh, on our streets. And of course, no smoking on the streets is good. And Japan, we can drink on the streets. And let's just keep it at that. That's that's the best. That's the best. We don't need anything else. So anyways, People are taking the gummies in Osaka police and puking it up and calling the cops. I wonder why they do that. I puked. Call the police. Um, next one. Is it high or not high? Osaka. So this is again from Osaka. So you never know who's taking the gummies there. Um, Osaka restaurateur sends ramen ingredients into space for six months to test effects of cosmic rays. High or not high? 
This comes to us from Sora News 24, the hate read of the week. On the 10th of November, a brave crew of ramen ingredients and their companions blasted off from Kennedy Space Center aboard a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. This marked the beginning of our six-month mission to absorb the very essence of being in space and bring it back to share with the world. The project uh, to explore new worlds of ramen is the work of restaurateur Takahiro Matsumura and his group of ramen establishments under the umbrella of Unchi Co. Limited, which literally translates to Poop Co. Limited. It's a name you can trust. I don't know. Unchi. And it's written in kind of rainbow letters. You never know in Japan if that means, you know, the gay rainbow or if the people there are just so naive they don't know about the gay rainbow. That happened to me recently. I got a family photo book published, and on some of the pages they put a big rainbow in there, but there wasn't any surreptitious messaging in there, like what happens with most um, grooming rainbow media centers. Um, but this one, I was just like, oh, these people are naive. Anyways, most famous for human beings, everybody noodles, restaurant in Osaka, Matsumura and Unchi have spearheaded a number of uh, ambitious ramen-related theme projects. human beings, everybody noodles pictured at the end of a very long line. So there's about a hundred people waiting for this uh, ramen in line on a street in Osaka prefecture. I'll be taking a picture of it and posting it to MatthewPMBigelow.com. However, none of the projects have been nearly as ambitious as this. Aboard the Falcon 9 rocket bound for the International Space Station are some pieces of roasted pork, soup stock, noodles, green onion, and fermented bamboo shoots. Memma. Uh, Once these items arrive, they will undergo testing to see the effects of cosmic rays on them. The effect, the exact nature of the testing is unclear, but there is a reference to a spacewalk in their announcement, which would suggest the food would be kept outside of the space station and thus exposed to cosmic radiation for a period of about to six months. So is that high or not high? That sounds pretty high to me. But in terms of pure science, I would be really interested what type of, um, what type of, uh, what gets absorbed into these ingredients in space. They're preserved, so whatever they absorb is going to be pretty easy to identify. And uh, I wonder if it would be edible. Question, would you be high or not high to eat the space ramen? High or not high? Very strange. A couple of things. We'll just jump into Society 5.0. It's going to be pretty short today. Society 5.0 is an umbrella term by the Japanese government that involves all this next generation technology and the wireless and AI spheres, um, mainly for like drone delivery or for... Uh, kind of reprogramming society to launch into the next world and all that. It's kind of goofy, but they're pretty serious about it. On the last uh, podcast I did a few days ago, episode 118, uh, we did a big dive into a lot of the Society 5.0 trends. So if this is interesting to you and you want to know more about it, I suggest listening to the last podcast, episode 118. I wonder what episode that was. That was called... I remember doing it. Very clean future. Ah, yes. It's about, uh, you know, toilets. <laughs> Very clean toilets. All right. Let's take a look at Society 5.0. 
The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone, anytime. We will have access to the latest medical advancements at a low cost, no matter where we are. All right, and I explain this every time, but I spent about five years uh, from 2015 to 2020, hard to believe it's already four years since that, at a Japanese telecommunications company in an English teaching position there where I researched AI trends and, ex and tried to present them in terms of like lessons and to the AI engineers and um, uh, executives at this telecommunications company, one of the main ones, and they had invested about $100 billion into um, into AI tech. And one of that was like WeWork, and we were so hyped about it, but it all turned out to be a fraud. So there's like these, these ideas that a lot of this technology can be really good, but it's so riddled with fraud and, and false endings or uh, products that are interesting but never go anywhere. It's uh, it's very interesting to to learn about because the technology is amazing, but the profit models or the business models are so obscure, or um, uh, they're just uh, they're, they're, the tunnels haven't been dug yet, like Hamas would say. But this one we go from the beginning here. Japan opens new Silicon Valley base for Japanese startups. Nippon.com. Uh, <clears throat> from GG Press. Japan's industry ministry held a ceremony Sunday. This comes to us from November 12th, and we are recording this on November 17th, 2023. Japan's industry ministry held a ceremony Sunday to mark the opening of a new base for Japanese startups in Palo Alto, California. The new base is aimed at supporting Japanese startups in Silicon Valley, a major center of the information technology industry. It will become fully operational by the end of the year. At the new base, five startups have offices, while about 50 venture capital and other companies will use co-working space to advise startups, introduce potential business partners, and provide legal and other support. The new base, quote, will be a major innovation facility for Japan, end quote, Japanese industry minister Yasutoshi Nishimura said at the ceremony, quote, we want young people to take risks courageously and try to change the world, he added. And um, <laughs> I'll be posting a picture of this guy speaking and uh, he, you know, this is, this is what's behind him as he's talking. Collective minds, collective thoughts, collective entrepreneurs. Doesn't that sound a bit creepy? Like um, we want people to take risks and be individuals and find new products. And that's why the government, which is a basically a regulatory body, is here to help young people be, create new things under the banner of collective minds, collective thoughts, collective entrepreneurs. Does that really exist? Uh, I, I see this as a real boondoggle. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Of course, um. Silicon Valley had, uh, you know, a lot of 
innovation built around uh, the tech industry. And until social media came along, a lot of Silicon Valley was very, very Republican. A lot of those old tech companies are very traditional companies. You need it to be to manufacture chips and all these things to spec. But now that everything kind of fits in a phone and you know, this is smart uh, software based, you get a lot of dreamy people that just kind of cram their dreams within the pre-existing confinements of the of the devices that have been rolled out and um, it's become a lot more liberal since then. So uh, anyways, that's why Japan did so well before and is not doing well now, you know, as a very conservative society, typically speaking, um, really good at following rules and patterns and, and physical, you know, shapes and things like that. Japan does very well, but uh, asking them to be creative in the cloud, I'm sure there's a lot of creativity going on there, but they, they struggle compared to most other places. I don't know why. I wonder why. It's just like this weird thing. But yeah, maybe it's because of their new leadership under the under the banner of collective minds, collective thoughts, collective entrepreneurs. That might be the show title, Collective Entrepreneurs. Oh, that'd be a good one. All right. That's going to be the show title. I've learned to take a note. All right, next in the Society 5.0 is uh, Sony lures record female engineers despite talent shortage in Japan. Now, originally what started as a Society 5.0 is like a human-centered thing, and you'll notice that in the beginning here it says... The Fourth Industrial Revolution. The Fourth Industrial Revolution, which is quoting Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum and the writer of the book COVID-19, The Great Reset. He meets pretty regularly with prime ministers in Japan or higher ups in Japan and especially Prime Minister Kishida, the current prime minister. They seem to get along well. <clears throat> and so what happened is a lot of the... Um, uh, Diverse equity and inclusion goals and a lot of the SDG goals are now being kind of shoehorned or injected into Japan Society 5.0 because, you know, why not? <laughs> it needs to go somewhere. Uh, and this could be DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and it could be um, so SDIs, uh, SDGs, social development goals and all of that. But it could not be, but I'm including it into Society 5.0 for, for that for that consideration. Sony, this comes to us from Kyoto News, Tokyo. Sony Corp is increasing its hiring of female engineers, aiming to achieve a record high percentage among its new hires for the next fiscal year, challenging the entrenched stereotype in Japan that typically associates men with such roles. Maybe before, but not now. When I was at the telecommunications company, I would regularly ask this. And I'd be like, guys, would you care if there was like a bunch more women in your engineering classes in university? And they're like, no, we wouldn't care. Are you kidding me? It was just all dudes. It was like in your 20s, you want to be around some women, right? Anyways, not just for eye candy, but I guess just to not always be around dudes. So the idea that uh, it's it's an entrenched idea, maybe for people over the age of 60, you know, which is still pretty a high percentage of population in Japan. But demographically speaking, everybody under the age of 60, all but I would say 98 percent of the people under the age of 60 don't care. Uh, the ratio of women is expected to reach an all-time high of about 30% among new recruits for engineers and researchers at the leading technology firm. Sources familiar with the matter said Thursday, a rare achievement in the country that has grappled with a shortage of female talent in the field. That's true. Now, 
This is the reason why I'm including it in Society 5.0 with the added addendums of SDGs and DEI, 30%. So it's not the fact that it's the ratio of women is 30%. That's fine. I really don't care. I really don't care. The idea that I would suddenly be like, I never thought women could be engineers until I saw one typing at a computer. It would just, it's a ridiculous idea. And people that want to go down that route, go down that route. Have a great time going down that route and never come back. This move comes as Sony, which produces smartphones and mirrorless cameras, is ramping up efforts to create a friendlier working environment for women. Sony offers flexible work schedules for pregnant women and those engaged in child rearing, as well as a leave system for those undergoing fertility treatment, among other measures to support women's careers. These are all good moves, especially as we get uh, into this idea of like, well, if women are just going to get get pregnant and quit, well, that's not really a way to make women participate in the workforce because you can't have a growing population and have 50 all the women working. It just, it doesn't work. Have you ever had kids? I've had two kids in the past three or four years and it's been nuts. The idea that women can just pop out babies and go back to work. It's nuts. They can, if they're rich and they have nannies and a big support system and a big house and all that. But no, generally speaking, it's an impossible idea. It's a magical dream. Like we need 90% of the women working and we need to triple our population of the birth rate. Like, okay, those are two very different things. Um, quote, it is often said that if one group accounts for about 30% of the entire population, they are not a minority, end quote, said Hiromi Yokoyama, professor of science and technology studies at the University of Tokyo. So it's a woman, right? It is remarkable that a leading Japanese company achieved such a high percentage despite the stereotype that science is for men. Um, now, she is just kind of being a bitch right here. There is no stereotype that science is for men unless you're over the age of 60. So she's at this elite university and she's um, being kind of a bitch about it. <clears throat> despite the high, despite the stereotype that science is for men. Well, us girls sure are showing you <laughs> the spelled girl with three R's. Um, so that type of, I, I really dislike that. And even what a lot of my professors at university were women and, and when I was studying journalism as well, a lot of them who were really hardcore feminists, like hardcore feminists, like they didn't like men really at all, but they would, in their lectures, they would say, we always got, like, we eventually, uh, speaking on behalf of the feminists, us feminists who are reporters always got tired of having to be like, so in interviews or for news reports, you're the first woman who's done this. You're the first woman who's done that. And it's always the first woman who's done something. And the reason why is because it kind of makes it sound like women weren't able to do it before. Something along those lines. Or you can't focus on, on women who have been doing it for a long time. It always has to be the first woman who, the first person of color who, and it always makes it seem like those people weren't able to do any of that before. That was the argument that I had from some of my university professors. And I kind of agreed with it, even though I'm not a feminist um, in, in those terms, right? Uh, it's just nice not to live with feminism, in my opinion. It's, it's much better. I've lived with feminism and without feminism and been on with strong women on both sides of that argument. Strong women without feminism are better than strong women with feminism. It's nice not to have this feminist thing put in. It's like 
it's like living with Islam. We're living without Islam. Do you want to live with, if you want to live with it, go for it. But I just prefer not to have it in my home. It could be exist in my neighborhood or whatever. I don't care, but I'm not going to start practicing Ramadan and do all that. Right. It's a similar thing. It's this, this uh, adherence to a, an ideology. Um, so anyways, companies are having a difficult time hiring female engineers in Japan where the number of women who major in science related fields remain low. So this is the main thing. A lot of women, like when I was in the liberal arts, it was mostly women, even though a lot of them were smart. So like, unless you force women to go into university at 50% of the engineering rate, you're not going to get 50% of the engineering output. And, um, and some people have noted that in Scandinavian countries where they've made it, you know, absolutely imperative that people can choose the careers that they want, the divergence between men and women only went further. Like more men became engineers and more women became nurses, according to these, some of these studies. So unless you, unless you really incentivize, uh, women to become engineers and retain their career path along a, a very long period of time. Uh, just the, the, it seems to be a male preferable um, career, even though I don't care if 90% of the women are engineers. I really seriously don't, but it just appears to be um, male dominated because that's where most men end up going. I mean, geez, like have you ever been around men who just want to like talk about, like they just want to, and do stuff like fishing and hunting. Like they're not really into talking very much among the Japanese graduates of higher education institutes of 2021, females who studied natural science, math and statistics accounted for 27% according to data compiled by the organization for economic cooperation and development. Those women who majored in engineering, manufacture and architecture stood at 16%. Both numbers were among the lowest 38 OECD member countries. Um, there's like a lot of, I've never, I've never come across some, somebody who's pressured their daughter out of studying engineering. Um, I've never come across that. Maybe it happens or maybe there's like this, you know, secret code in the society, you know, that pushes women to study womanly things and pushes men to study menly things. I could kind of argue that, but the main thing that I was going to say here is that, Sony is going to hire 30% of women as engineers, but the women who majored in engineering, manufacturing and architecture, for some reason, I think there's more women in manu architecture than in manufacturing stood at 16%. So this is the society 5.0 with the added addition of the DEIs and the SDGs involved. Maybe Sony is taking a risk at hiring double the amount of women who statistically graduate with engineering degrees when it's combined with manufacturing and architecture. So it could be less, it could be more um, with the SDGs and DEIs. And as these, this is the point as these kind of isms and edicts and uh, lines of thinking sneak into society 5.0 is going to, it's going to create, a lot of opportunities for SDG scores to go higher, but 
for more and more people to get hired who maybe shouldn't even be there. Um, so the company wants to really, really increase its SDG score and it's going to take a gamble at hiring a bunch of unqualified engineers over qualified engineers just because of what's between their legs. And uh, I'm not sure if that's overall a good move or a bad move. I don't really, I really don't know, actually. I really don't know. But uh, I would rather just see meritocracy. And if it's 16% of women graduates coming out of engineering, well, then 16% of the workforce for engineers should be comprised of women for that year. And if the next year it's 90% of women coming out of uh, engineering degrees, well, you know, then 90% of engineering jobs should go to women. It's like that just makes numerical sense to somebody like me who isn't even very good with numbers. So that's that. Uber CEOs, what do you think? Do you think I'm on the right line of thinking there? Or, or you know, because I'm obviously not trying to be bigoted. Uh, I was against that bigoted statement by the University of Tokyo uh, woman. I don't think she should be talking like that publicly. And even in the article, it mentioned it three times. And I think that's just creating a, a bad that's like division causing stuff. Um, you could have framed it differently. Like, and now we are now thusly resulting in uh, further cooperation between men and women in the workforce. That would be one way to say it. That would be a positive spin on things, but just to be like, we're doing good, even though you think we fucking suck. That's not the way to do it. It's really not the way to do it, especially as a public figure, you know, or, or even in like the, the news report language there too. They are taking their own stereotypes and amplifying their own stereotypes, maybe without even looking deep into that mirror, bro. All right. The last one for Society 5.0 for today, coming to us from the Asahi Shimbum. Uber CEO sees huge potential in Japanese ride-sharing market um, by Daisuke Igarashi correspondent san francisco so this comes to us from the um the, the i think the the big meet where xi jinping and joe biden were uh, in san francisco for four hours talking about who knows what um although this is my this is my summary um before going to the meeting xi jinping says to joe biden hello mr biden i'm xi jinping from china and we are here to eat your lunch. And Joe Biden responds with, well, I hope this is a good restaurant. And that's the summary of China policy versus whatever the hell is going on with the Biden administration. So dangerous. With moves afoot in Japan to begin ride-sharing programs in certain localities, the CEO of Uber Technologies has expressed interest in driving into the Japanese market. Oh, ho, ho, driving into the Japanese Dara Koshiro-Ashashi met with Japanese media representatives, including the Asahi Shimbun on November 15th. Potential. Quote, potential in Japan is enormous. Hmm. Koshiro-Shahi said, noting it had the fourth largest gross domestic product in the world. Quote, Japan is a very strategic market for us. It's a very large economy, he said. If Japanese authorities approve ride-sharing programs, Uber is prepared to jump into the market, uh, he said. Uber already has ties with some Japanese taxi companies, uh, but the CEO said, we want every single taxi in Japan on our Uber app. While admitting that his company now only had a mini school presence in Japanese in the Japanese market, 
Khosrowshahi said his name is spelled C H okay K H O S R O W S H A H I worst name ever. That's why I suddenly start agreeing with that American policy when people would arrive at Ellis Island. Like, what's your name? And you're from Poland. You'd be like, Zashing Shing, Shing Shing Shing. And be like, hmm, Stephen Singer. Oh, no, that's a Jewish name. Uh, Joe Johnson. There you go. Welcome to America, Mr. Johnson. We're not putting up with your Polish names, all right? <laughs> no, okay. Uh, and even in Japan, nobody ever calls me Matthew Bigelow. They call me Mato, Mato, Mashu, Mashu, or Bigelo, Bigelo, Bigelo. And there's no way to write a TH sound in Japanese. So I come to Japan and I get a new name too. All right. Um, Kuroshashashwa, he said the current situation in which Japanese taxi drivers work 17 to 19 hours per shift, quote, is clearly not sustainable, end quote. Uber officials said their app was in use at taxi companies in about 20 Japanese cities, including Tokyo, Osaka, and Fukuoka. Um, and then it kind of goes on from there. I'm not sure how I feel about Uber. The Japanese taxi companies in recent years have been making more efforts to improve their driving conditions. About 10 years ago, they wouldn't rip you off, but they would often be like unknowledgeable about where you needed to go, even in central Tokyo. Like you'd get into a taxi and you'd say, I want to go to this station. And it's like, well, how do you want to get there? That's how the question they would ask you. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't fudge and know <laughs> you drive. I'm just like, I'm just the guy getting in the taxi here. But recently they got, they got, they, they're better. So I, if you have really terrible taxi companies in your city and they're unreliable, they overcharge, they're dangerous, they're dirty and all that. And Uber comes in to replace them. Great. That's fantastic. But if you already have a good taxi system and Uber comes in to try to replace them, not sure how I feel about that. Um, so let's just take a look. There's um, Uber does not disclose its ride fares or changes in what it takes from drivers. So that's a big, weird, weird thing. Um, the driver received only $9.19 for a ride. That was $18.27 fare. Um, and they traveled just about, you know, uh, 20 minutes for that. So in 20 minutes, the guy gets 10 bucks about not the best, but not the worst, but it goes up and it goes down randomly and you don't know. And they, they kind of, it's app based, which is now, you know, just prime for SDIs and SDGs and, um, DEIs. And, and then they can screw around with the software to nudge you and push you and, and get you, kind of recycled into those weird app psychology that, that drives so many people crazy these days. I swear half the time people are like looking at their phones and they're just being programmed by algorithms. And then they enact the algorithmic programming that they receive from the phone in real life. Classic example, it's not popular anymore, but was the Pokemon Go. It, it would It would drive tons of people into just random areas and they would all be looking at their phones and not in a line, they would just be loitering. So you'd be walking down this street and you would turn a corner and there'd be like 150 people just tapping on their phones, but nobody knew each other. They were only there to collect Pokemons. And uh, it would just be this weird, creepy, 
like uh, pushing algorithms into the real world to drive people to do things in real life. And honestly, I think that's like a testing ground. Like that's just a test to see if people will obey the algorithms. And then once Pokemon Go or Nintendo gets all that information, um, they can then, you know, sell that to somebody else who advises other companies to to further uh, human manipulation. And I wouldn't be surprised if Uber is, is really taking a page from that playbook and applying it to manipulating how their fleets of drivers operate in the real world. So kind of creepy. I don't, I really hope the Uber doesn't, does not come to Tokyo. Uh, I hope they stay away. That's going to be society 5.0 for today. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living. Have you ever considered donating to the Japan Web Podcast? Of course you have. Now it's easier than ever before. That's my daughter crying in the background of the studio. You're supposed to be the assistant. You're only six months old. Come on, pick up the slack. We're getting donations. Go to MatthewPMBigelow.com and click on the link there for donation ideas via PayPal. You can also type in paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT. We also are on the podcasting 2.0 infrastructure, interfaces, and infrastructure. What are you doing with your legacy podcasting app? Get a new app at podcastapps.com or just look up Podverse, CurioCaster, Podfans. There's all these new apps coming out that feature chapters, transcripts, and boostograms. Those are donations that you can make via Bitcoin micropayments called Satoshis directly from you in the app to the podcaster and the app that you're listening on. It's a fantastic new technology built on open source protocols, which means that it prevents companies from centralizing like YouTube or Spotify, and then creating a whole bunch of middle managers that come in to try to decide what should be pushed and what shouldn't be pushed based on their ideological idiosyncrasies. So get with it. Go to MatthewPMBigelow.com, donate there, or podcasting 2.0 infrastructure drive us some traffic help us with the links my daughter is looking at me like she needs something (laughs) and uh help us with the links and drive us some traffic and go there for the show notes and photos and more thank you just a quick uh, covid update everybody coronavirus the Wuhan flu doesn't kill you. The media panic will. Now do whatever the government tells you to do. We got uh, Lisa riding shotgun here with us, so she might be providing some commentary. I had to really enunciate that. My mind was going to jelly there. Japan medical groups urge women to check if they are pregnant before taking COVID drugs. Oh, I thought it was all safe and effective, wasn't it? Ah, um, 
Japan medical groups, so this comes to us from the Mainichi, Japan's national daily since 1922. The Japanese, the Japanese Association for Infectious Diseases and two other academic societies issued a joint statement on November 14th requesting that female coronavirus patients confirm whether they are pregnant before taking COVID-19 drugs, some of them which cannot be prescribed to expectant mothers. Um, currently three medications, uh, Zokova, Pax, uh, Paxlovid and Lagavrio are approved for use as coronavirus treatments. That last one might be pronounced Lagavrio. I'm not sure. Uh, I've never heard about it before. I've heard of Zokova and Pax, uh, Paxlovid though. Pregnant women cannot take Zokova and Lagavrio. Well, Paxlovid may be administered under certain circumstances. According to the according to Japan's health ministry, there were 32 women that took Zokova and who were later converted pregnant at the end of October, with miscarriages recorded in two of the cases. Although the casual relationship is unclear, causation does not equal relation. Causation what is that? Whatever it is. The joint statement read, if you find out that you were pregnant after taking COVID-19 drugs that pregnant women cannot take, you may experience a great deal of anxiety and internal conflict, end quote. So just uh, letting you know, um, some of these drugs, not good for women. And so if you're, if you're a pregnant person, if you're a, if you're an individual who has a biological vagina, you might want to consider uh, re- not taking uh, all those COVID drugs. Oh, that were mentioned or any in particular, if that's what you want. Uh, all right. It's nice that we don't have to worry about COVID so much as we used to crazy that like even a year ago, it was an insane amount of planning and practice that just needed to go into taking a pl- riding a plane. Then it's like, no, no, now it's fine. And nobody's like, all right, it's fine. It's, it's weird how everybody can be turned on and turned off, uh, via the media these days. It's, it's creepy, isn't it? All right, let's move on to war. The original war of the Biden administration, um, Ukraine, Russia, really had an effect on the economy. The current war, uh, the second war of the Biden administration, um, Gaza and Israel, uh, has been a lot more chill, but... There's a, there's a lot more emotions about it. Um, instead of rocking the economy, it's rocking people's emotions. And this is just how it's affecting us. I, I've seen some protests for pro-Israel and pro-Palestine. Don't know why people do that. Um, I really don't know why people do that. Why would I go around waving a Palestinian flag? I don't get it. If you want to, I mean, go for it. But like, I'm, I'm a Canadian in Tokyo. I don't know what waving a Palestinian flag is going to do. But this comes to us uh, from the other day, and it's a car rams into barricade near Israel Embassy in Tokyo. Man detained. A man crashed a car into a barricade near the entrance of the Israeli Embassy in Tokyo on Thursday, injuring a police officer. This comes to us from japantoday.com, probably via Thomson Reuters. Hmm. Police arrested the 53-year-old driver at the scene. He was identified as Shinobu Sekiguchi, a member of the right of a, a right-wing group, local media reported. Israel's ambassador to Japan, um, Gilad Cohen, or Gilad Cohen, said in a social media post he was shocked by the events and thanked police for ensuring their security. 
See, that's the way ambassadors um, should do it, by the way. It's, it's a nice thing, nice way to go about it. Very diplomatic, as opposed to that woman from the Tokyo University. The incident happened at around 11 a.m. Police have stepped up security in the area and so on. A month ago, a staffer at the Israeli embassy in Beijing was assaulted on the street and hospitalized. So we can kind of see how the war there is affecting a little bit of the people here, but um, it's not exactly all that much. You know, anything else to say, Lisa? You know, who do you support, Israel or Palestine? I support neither, but I say go for it. Battle it out. I don't know. All I want to, what I have to say is this, and this comes to us just, just comes to me just as purely as a thought, not as a condemnation or as a support of the reasons therein. How did the Palestinians allow themselves to be completely reliant on Israel, pretty much, in terms of the power, internet, all of that stuff? I mean, there's 2 million people there. You should be able to formulate some sort of independent energy association or something like that. I know there's a lot of gas and stuff that's been discovered underneath Gaza and into the Mediterranean Ocean there. But I'm just wondering that. Like, it's not, it, it sounds like I'm condemning the Palestinians, but I'm not because I'm wondering, like, what would ever happen to me if I found myself as a member of a group of like 2 million people? that were completely without independent access to energy and completely relying on infrastructure for a kind of a foreign nation or a power that a group of people that can, that has power over me, like literally and figuratively and in all sense of the words, like how do you end up in that type of situation? Like how does that happen? And why wouldn't you all get together and say, Hey, we want to have our own uh, power plants. <laughs> we want to generate our own electricity here. Maybe they can somehow, but it's like Israel, the Israeli government, Israel's government just cut off Palestine, like all the internet, like almost everything. So I'm just wondering, like, how does a people find themselves in that situation? And wh why wouldn't somebody or some group or some sort of power develop within the populace that would demand to have the right to create their own energy. Blows my mind. And I'm not condemning the Palestinians. I hope, you know, I'm not sure if it's a Hamas thing, that an agreement with Israel to keep Hamas in power. Like, I don't, I'm not sure about the machinations that go on over there. But I'm just kind of thinking like, wow, how did that happen? How did that happen? How did you, you know, I'd be like, man, we got screwed. Like, I'd be thinking about that every day. How did we allow ourselves to get this screwed? And how do we get out of it? How can we make our own power plant? How can we do that? Can we talk to some people? Can we start a fundraiser? Go fund me. Palestinian power plant. What do you say? I don't know. So that's what I have to say about that. Mitsubishi Electric in line to be key supplier for U.S. Navy radar. Um, this comes to us from the Nikkei Shimbun. Uh, what we've seen in recent months is Japan really edging away from its ambitions to become 
a military superpower. Like they kind of teased it out. Like we're going to develop our, our self-defense forces and our self-defense Navy. Like nobody has ever seen. We're going to increase a whole bunch of funding for it. We don't know where we're going to get the money, but we can. Oh, we're going to, we're going to help Taiwan and we'll work with the Philippines. And then the past four or five months, it's like, nah, we'll just supply some parts. How about that? So it seems like uh, Japan is really shifting its footing on its aspirations of becoming some sort of kick-ass military nation. I mean, how can you become a kick-ass military nation when you have a declining population like crazy, especially after COVID, with the amount of miscarriages going up, the amount of weddings going down, and and the amount of, of just less and less babies by quite a lot, by the way. How can you expect to just funnel this precious shrinking demographic into a meat grinder so that Taiwan does not fall into the hands of the CCP. It's a little bit strange. So it's just a couple of paragraphs. It's behind a paywall. So U.S. defense contractor RTX is finalizing a deal to procure major component from Japan's Mitsubishi Electric for an advanced missile defense radar system. People familiar with the matter told Nikkei. The deal would mark a milestone for the alliance between Washington and Tokyo after vowing to deepen defense military cooperation, defense industry cooperation amid growing challenges presented by China. So that's that. Um, quote, day may come when North Korea will attack U.S. to help Palestine. Hamas official. Now, as we kind of look at, if you're not very familiar with geography, and I, I'm very familiar with global geography, I've studied it a lot using Google Maps, pouring over, like get a six pack of beer and drink it and just go on to Google Maps and zoom in, zoom out, go all over the place. And when you think about like um, North Korea to China to Russia, that corner there, and then to Iran and then Saudi Arabia, and then connecting it to South Africa with the bricks and then maritime routes into Brazil and all that. It's like, well, that's a giant swath of the, of the, of the earth's, you know, arable land that seems to be, you know, combining for some sort of weird multipolar group, as they say. And uh, perhaps what I'm thinking behind Japan's shift away from providing a lot of uh, money and allocation towards Taiwan is that they're worried about what the North Koreans will do. And they need to take more of a domestic approach and are shifting away from active involvement to passive involvement with defense at home being a more key, a greater key issue. Uh, so this comes to us from NorthKoreanews.org, which I go to sometime. Um, I, I did... I'm not sure if I didn't cover this, but I may have included it as a link, but I'm going to cover it in detail today. The day may come when North Korea intervenes to help Palestine by attacking the U.S., a senior Hamas official has warned, describing Pyongyang as part of a growing alliance of Washington's enemies. In an interview with a Lebanese YouTube channel last week, Hamas head external relations Ali Baraka praised DPRK leader Kim Jong-un as, quote, perhaps the only one in the world capable of striking the United States. Quote, Iran does not have weapons that can reach America. North Korea, however, does have the capability to strike America. The day may come when North, when North Korea intervenes because it is, after all, part of our alliance, he said, according to a translation by the Middle East Media Research Institute, the uh, MEMRI. You've probably heard about it. 
Baraka made the comments in response to a question about reports that, that Kim Jong-un ordered officials to comprehensively aid Palestine following the outbreak of a conflict between Hamas and Israel last month. And it goes on from there. So uh, I'll be including that as a link if you're interested in that. That's just kind of signaling how the war is the shifting. And you can never predict where the war is going to go, but you can predict uh, how it's, you can't predict, but you can show how it's going. Uh, earlier, I was saying that in the, a couple of podcasts ago that no way will Asian countries band together militarily to defend other Asian countries. It just doesn't happen. Like, the Philippines and Japan would probably never be like, hey, let's join up forces and kick the crap out of China so they don't take Taiwan. I mean, historically speaking, that just never happens. They, they'll just sit back and go, hmm, that's tough. That's tough. That's tough. Maybe if they rebuild, we can find some new business opportunities, though. That's kind of the way it goes. But AP News apparently says um, Japan led an annual multinational naval exercise that included the Philippines as an observer. So it says an observer for the first time as Filipino Coast Guard vessels are increasingly harassed by China in the disputed South China Sea. I don't think we should call it the disputed South China Sea. I mean... China thinks the entire South China Sea belongs to China, but we could call it that's that's a crazy idea. You can't just claim something that's 1300 kilometers away from your border and say that that's a that's a rational move. It's a completely irrational move. The annual ex exercises that began Saturday off Japan's coast also included the United States, Australia, and Canada. Their aim is to demonstrate and increase ways the navies can work together and show their presence and commitment to defend a, quote, free and open Indo-Pacific, which the Allies say is hampered by China's growing ambitions that include sweeping territorial claims. And it goes on from there. That comes to us. When was this released? Um... Oh, geez, it's, it's AP, so the website is going all crazy. Eh, I can't find the date. Hold on a second. I must find the date. All right, well, maybe around November 11th, so about a week ago. But even though they're trying like, to say that, oh, they're working together and they're going to be doing this, well, the Philippines was an observer. So, again, it kind of goes to that statement I was making just a minute ago. Yeah, they'll observe each other being invaded, but they're not going to really come to each other's help. But I still kind of stand by that, even though they're presenting face that they're going to team up and really kick some ass to preserve a free and open Indo-Pacific. That requires a lot of time and energy, by the way. And you can't just do it with Japan, the United States. Well, the United States is pretty good, actually. Maybe you can do it. We'll see. I'm not sure. Not sure. We'll see. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the news. That's the that's the deep hot take for today on the Japan What podcast. Ah, well, we'll see. Uh, Japan urges China to release national jailed on spy charges. Uh, this comes to us from the war because um, uh, of the growing political tensions that kind of exist between the two countries. From November thirteenth. Japan has urged China to release one of its nationals who was sentenced to 12 years in prison on espionage charges, Tokyo's top government spokesman said Monday. Quote, We are aware on November 3rd, the verdict of 12 years in prison was handed to a Japanese man in his 50s who had been detained since July 2019 was finalized as his appeal was turned down. Um, that the high court in China's Hunan province, it was said, 
And so that's just kind of some background noise, background, some back burner stuff that takes us into the next category, which is Japan. So that's all for war for today. Just a lot of background noise. And, you know, as, 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 as the, as the focus shifts away from Taiwan for the time being more towards um, Hamas and Israel and still a little bit with the Russia and Ukraine, uh, shifting away from uh, Taiwan, but there's still a lot going on there. And China continues to disrupt a lot of uh, naval activity in the South China Sea, uh, challenging a lot of Vietnamese ships at the moment, it seems. Uh, and it, it's it's very it's very disruptive. And there's also a lot of um, plan, uh, People's Liberation Army Navy from China doing a lot of runs around uh, Taiwan at the moment. So Right now, they're kind of focusing away the media towards uh, Israel and stuff like that. Uh, and that's probably a good time for a lot of this background stuff to be put into practice to see if it's feasible or not for the Chinese to launch an invasion while the uh, world is distracted. That's a lot better than, eh, well, well, Die for the war, everybody moves. Die for the good, for the good. Die for the war, die for the war. All right, and the next hullabaloo is going to focus on Japan-Chinese relations. Typically speaking, this would go at the top of a of a news type of thing, but I, I don't consider these things to be all that important because it's it's a lot of pomp and circumstance and the emperor without clothes type of a thing. What are you doing, Lisa? You have anything to say? From the Mainichi. As you know, <laughs> Japan's national daily since 1922. Japanese PM Kishida meets Chinese President Xi, or Xi, I say Xi, but it should be Xi, amid difficult ties. Nobody says Matthew. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida told Chinese President Xi Jinping on Thursday that he wants to create a positive future for bilateral relations, as they met for the first time in a year with the two Asian countries facing many difficult issues. While Sino-Japanese ties are still fraught, Kishida said at the outset of his talks with Xi in San Francisco that both nations need to build stable and build a stable and constructive relationship. The international community is at a historic turning point where confrontation and cooperation are woven in a complicated manner, Kishida said. Um, Xi, meanwhile, said bilateral ties should be mutually beneficial and appropriate for a new era, adding, oh, that's weird, adding the two countries should, quote, properly handle differences for the common interests of their peoples, according to Chinese state-run media. Kishida is expected to call for the lifting of a blanket ban on Chinese seafood imports imposed by China after the discharge of treated radioactive wastewater from the crippled Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant uh, that began in August. Japan views the ban as without scientific foundation. It goes there. That whole ban on Japanese seafood, it's used as a power move probably by China just to show solidarity with China, to weaken um, Japan, as it tries to boost its military spending, you know, if China is going to be boosting Japan's economy with its seafood imports, uh, well, China can just fish around the international waters around Japan, catch all that seafood anyways, sell it domestically, uh, remove Japan's natural resources before it gets to them, right? The movement of fish, 
and then deprive Japan of the income and the food uh, and, and just keep it all for themselves and then, you know, stymie uh, Japan's efforts to to build up its military. So, yeah, that's the weird thing. Once you announce your big plans, other people try to come in and screw you up. Hey, we're going to rebuild our military so that we can kick China's ass. Then China's like, we're not buying seafood from you anymore, and we're just going to catch it ourselves. Good luck. So I'm not sure what the what the relationship between Japan and China really looks like at the moment. Um, it's it's overall, I think towards like China, I don't think they really consider Japan that much of a of an important thing as they used to. They're they're constantly looking to expand, like I said, through uh, Russia, through Iran, through the through the stands, through like Kyrgyzstan and all those stands, the Nantoka stands towards Europe and then towards the Middle East and down to uh, South Africa, you know, via Africa, of course. Uh, and I think that China just really doesn't consider Japan as really that much of a thing. A tiny country, very strong economy, but they know that the demographics are going down and overall the people just don't really care all that much about what's going on in China anyways. So it probably does more Chinese, China more of a service just to pay lip service to Japan while getting on with their plans. And yeah, aside from like some historical connections or as a place to visit or a lot of the Chinese millionaires are trying to are moving into Japan to escape China at the moment. It kind of provides a refuge for (laughs) Chinese millionaires, but I'm not sure what they're going to do once they arrive in Japan, except live here and drive cars. So if they contribute to the economy and like do jobs or whatever, why would I care? But I'm just kind of say in terms of um, bi- bilateral strategies, uh, I see Japan becoming less and less of a of a interest towards China, and China really focusing on other things except for Japan. So this um, this meet between President Xi and PM Kishida in San Francisco would most likely make the top of the list for a lot of newspapers and things like that. But it seems to me it's uh, not that much of an important detail, and uh, probably. What, what I really don't like about these meetings is that then people speculate on what they talked about and on these new moves that are going to be made between the countries, like all these pictures between in, in the newspapers between President Xi and, and U.S. President Joe Biden, where they're like, they're really standing close and they're like, whoa, look at them and all these people. What are the main takeaways? But it's like Joe Biden doesn't know where he is. Uh, as the Secretary of State Antony Blinken is really a weakling. Like he's someone who probably just grew up expecting people to listen to him and then do it without having to communicate it very well. And that doesn't that doesn't work so much in the real world. Uh, and he's always flinching now and and reacting weirdly to whatever Joe Biden is saying on camera. Really bad image when you look at the video, but when you look at the still images in the newspaper, it's like whoa. Look at these leaders. These are our leaders, and look how they are leading us. And I hope it's towards a good point, but, you know, times are tough. I really hope they hammer it out, but you're never really sure. All right. Well, that's going to cut it for today. The Japan What Podcast. You found it. Coming at you from the Samoncho Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. The armpit of Asia. 
you found it, the Japan What Podcast. Go to MatthewPMBigelow.com for all the info you need and more, some links, some donation ideas. Help me feed my baby. She is hungry. Until next time, everybody. Ja mata ne. Nee.